Hey there, film fans, and welcome to another episode of The Real Take. Except it's not just another episode, it's another dealer's choice episode where one of us picks an actor or a director they love and shine a light on some of their lesser known work. This week, we are taking a look at a famous actor who sadly passed away last year, a man who is so much more than Bond, James Bond, or John Patrick Mason. A man who played roles like Trooper Joe Roberts, the disgraced inmate with a rebellious spirit in the hill. Or the intelligent Edward Pierce, who teams up with his pal to pull off the great train robbery. Or a Franciscan friar, William of Baskerville, called upon to solve a deadly mystery in a medieval monastery. Yes, this week it's all about the work of Sean Connery. Let's roll title. No, it's uh, let's roll titles. Sit down and grab a glass. Sinead Ross and Niall have made a podcast. It's the real take, breaking it down. Having fun and talking movies. First of all, let me get my let's get the tagline out of the way, right? Because it is the real take, the podcast by film fans for film fans. And of course, Ross Leahy and Niall O'Brien are here. And Niall, it's your dealer's choice. And much like when Ross had his pick, I said the words, the jig is up. Uh, the jig is up with you as well because I just think you've picked Sean Connery because you want to do impressions of Sean Connery. <laughs> sounds about right, up. doesn't possibly, it? Possibly, yeah. possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't think that you guys would be up for just doing a, a six-hour episode on Superman the movie, so I had to pick something else. <laughs> Not again. Um, and um, I, I guess I've been thinking about him a bit uh, recently because... Uh, if two of his films are in my head because two of my favourite films featuring Sean Connery are both 35 years old this year uh, so I'm talking about Highlander and The Name of the Rose which I'll be talking about a little bit more in depth uh, later on uh, so as you say I'm talking about Sean Connery um, like most film fans I think I first knew Sean Connery as James Bond Bond, James mm-hmm. Bond yeah. Um, yeah. but my thesis tonight I didn't want to kind of talk about because he's had such a long career I didn't want to talk about maybe the first act of his career, which is really those early Bond movies. And like he had films roles before he was cast as as Bond and he uh, would make movies while he was still starring as James Bond as well. But when the obituaries all came out, when he died, sadly, at the end of October last year, the headline really was James Bond actor dies. Um, So it was a role that really he couldn't escape. Mm. The next time I think I, I saw him or I became aware of him, as as a young film goer was in 1989's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade uh, yeah, where of course. of course he played Harrison Ford's archaeologist father Henry Jones Sr despite the fact that he was only 12 years older than Harrison Ford at the time <laughs> um, <laughs> and although I don't think I mean I, what I've done is I've kind of mentally kind of split Connery's career into three acts those early Bond movies or the movies that he made when he was still Bond uh, the middle section which we're going to be kind of talking about more today and the the third act of his career which I think probably started when if it wasn't Highlander then it was probably when he won the Oscar for The Untouchables in 1987 mm. um, and I loved that era of Connery this later era Connery you know you've got such classics in this era like The Hunt for Red October The Rock I mean I was so in the Sean Connery bag back then that I even liked films like Medicine Man 
Rising Sun, Just Cause, First Night. If there was an early 90s thriller with a two-word title and Sean was in it, <laughs> I was there on the first night to go and see it. The two movies that are 35 years old this year, that and I rented them, I wore away the video cassettes. I borrowed them from McDonald's Video Library so many times that I could have bought them ten times over. I probably could have funded a sequel to both of them, were Highlander and The Name of the Rose. Highlander, I think, like I say, is kind of the tail end of the second act of his career. Uh, but when I saw the name of the rose, I was I was just I I I loved it. I I it was fantastic, and it really opened up, I guess, the idea of this middle period between kind of early action hero hero Connery and late action hero Connery. Mm. Um, and at the same time, around the same time, in a second-hand bookshop, I found a copy table book with uh, called "The Films of Sean Connery" that had loads of pictures of all of of his entire. Uh, you know, it, it would li- systematically list all of the films that he had made, along with a little po- plot description about them and behind-the-scenes info, and would have photographs from. Them. So, in the days before IMDb, this was like finding a treasure chest. Just it opened up this world of movies that I didn't know anything about, but they just sounded so great, and in my head they were fantastic. And you know, I, I mean, I, I really felt like William of Baskerville when he discovers the Forbidden Library in the Name of the Rose. I mean, that's a little bit of a deep dive there for you. Um, but, you know, the the years have passed and I have discovered, I have gone through, like, most of his filmography. I think there's two or three films that I've not actually been able to see. And some of them are absolute gems. They are mm. treasures, like I say. Some of them are paste. They should be thrown away. <laughs> um, but when Sean passed away uh, late, la- late last year, I was sad that... Um, even though he, he had long since retired from making movies um, after the disastrous box office of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But I'll show you how much of a fan I am. I still kind of like that film. <laughs> oh. um, but um, I was surprised at how many great films that are in his filmography get got no mention in all the many articles after he passed. Yeah. And maybe it's a testament to you know the long and varied career that he had. But maybe it is a fact that they're they're just they're a little bit lost, they're a little bit forgotten. So a bit like that well-worn dog-eared book in that second-hand shop that I found, I thought this dealer's choice would be a good excuse for me to introduce you to some of the treasures from what I call the second act of Sean Connery's career, specifically those films that non-Bond films that he made between 1964 and 1986. And I, I, what we don't usually do, I actually gave you homework. For this one, it did. So, yes. So, Can I just I say mean, though, for once, I actually really liked your homework. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think um, mission accomplished because it definitely showed yeah. me a different side to Sean Connery, one that I hadn't seen before. Really good, and absolutely. Can, yeah. Can I ask what you guys like? What are your what are your thoughts? What are your memories? What when you think about Sean Connery, what do you think about? Well, I think about Bond, James Bond, like mm, straight away, right. okay. because as you know, from chatting to, to you about this before, my dad is a massive Bond fan. And I suppose my education in film would have started on a Saturday afternoon or, you know, when, when Bond movies were shown a lot more frequently, let's say, on, on television. And it would have been uh, my dad's number one is Connery, like, you know, for Bond. Um, yeah. So that definitely was where I, and like really after that, like, I mean, I did see him in like, you know, obviously Indiana Jones, as you mentioned, but then I did see him in some doozies like Entrapment with um, Catching Caesar <laughs> Catch Jones and things like that. But, you know, it really, it's, it's, it's all about Bond. When I think of Sean Connery, like straight away, it's Bond, you know? 
Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of the same as well. That was definitely my first introduction to him. But I was impressed when I saw him in other movies like um, The Untouchables as well, which yeah. for which I think he got a best supporting uh, actor nod. And and uh, you know from then I, I thought it was a collection of a hodgepodge collection of films throughout the years. Um, you know that I'd seen him in, but mainly you know it's hard to escape from the shadow of Bond. Really, I think he spent and a lot of the films that we'll talk about from this middle period are the movies that he made trying to escape from that I guess I mean he's he's got a lot in common with another favourite actor of mine um, Michael Caine and they were yes. great <laughs> friends and they made a great film together called The Man Who Would Be King which mm. we don't I think have time to talk about today but um, yeah I mean I'm always I'm very much for the actor who acts you know what I mean the, mm. the guy who you can look through the film and okay they're not all they're not all fantastic classics but there's a lot more good films in there than there are bad and mm. we can talk a little bit about that later period of his career when I think what, what he was doing was a little bit like Michael Caine he was going is there a golf course near where we're filming this because I can get a good dial I like golf so we'll do that and maybe taking movies for the money rather than you know the the artistic merit mm. but um, there was a period when he was a little bit more discerning and like like we say he wanted to break out of that James Bond um, shadow that even when he was still in the part he was he was not really comfortable in and um, yeah so I, I thought it was a great opportunity maybe to, to get you guys to, to have a look at some films that maybe you weren't aware about from his, his filmography yeah I gotta say I was really impressed because I probably thought of Sean Connery as a film star more than an actor um, yes yeah and he very much was that he was very much like you know maybe it goes along with being Bond like the epitome of kind of being this cool suave guy um, but then even when I heard stories about Sean Connery in his real life, they just kind of, they kind of aligned, well, not all of them now, obviously, but some of them just aligned with my image of what Sean Connery was, this kind of cool guy. Um, like, if I may, I remember hearing this great story about Sean Connery before he was, um, he was filming um, a film called Another Time, Another Place in the late 50s in London. And one of his co-stars was Lana Turner. And now Lana Turner... Um, you might know her from L.A. Confidential. She doesn't actually star in L.A. Confidential. <laughs> yeah, she, she's played by uh, Brenda uh, Backey, I think it is, or Brenda Bake in, in in L.A. Confidential. And basically, she's in the scene where Guy Pearce um, goes to the club and he says, you know, just because you get a prostitute done up to look like Lana Turner doesn't mean it's Lana Turner. Ends up it is actually Lana Turner <laughs> and he gets a drink thrown in his face. But that was actually based on kind of real life because Lana Turner in real life did actually go out with a gangster, um, very much like in the movie. Uh, it was Johnny Stompanato uh, who was involved in, in the mob. And when Lana Turner was filming um, Another Time, Another Place in London with Sean Connery, um, her boyfriend got very jealous and he went over to England to confront him and he carried a gun with him onto set. But Sean Connery, cool as chips... <laughs> disarmed him and took him down and that to me was just like pure Sean Connery yeah that's, no that's a great, that's a great story I remember reading that actually after he passed away okay yeah it's um yeah it is and like he had I mean we don't want to go too much into kind of his life and all that because mm. I really want to focus on the film sure but you know he had a, a, a very uh, low class uh, upbringing in Edinburgh he was a milkman he was a, a contestant in uh mr universe he was a bouncer um he was uh i think he was discovered for movies as he was playing a, a small part in south pacific 
uh, on stage. So yeah, he he kind of you know you you could tell, and I think um, you know we'll we'll talk now maybe a little bit about his personality, but you could tell that he, famously he didn't suffer fools gladly, and you could tell he had a bit of a, a temper on him. Yeah, know? but. Yeah. Um, and this is the elephant in the room, and I I didn't want to do this podcast about an actor that whose roles I admired so much without addressing this. So this is really this stems from a Playboy interview that he gave in 1965, and I'm going to quote it on here. And really, when you, when you talk about his career, there were a lot of very glowing eulogies about him when when he died or uh, obituaries and and things. But uh, there was a little bit of a controversy about the fact that it didn't address this. Now, it's very hard when someone passes away to look at the good and the bad about their life. But I did want us to maybe talk about it here before we start talking about how great these films that he made were. Um, so he gave an interview uh, to Playboy magazine in 1965. And he, it's the quote from the interview is, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong about hitting a woman, although I don't recommend doing it in the same way that you'd hit a man. An open-handed slap is justified if all other alternatives fail. So, wow. uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's tough. I mean, that's we can make all the arguments about those were different times, and mm. uh, you know, we can say the realities of society of a different era. You know, we have to be aware of that as we look at it now from our very comfy lives in 2021. But um, you know, it's also very much harder to defend that the. F- when he was asked about this interview, it resurfaced in 1987 when he gave a TV interview with Barbara Walters. And you can see that whole interview on YouTube. And I'd, I'd give I'd, I'd recommend people have a look at it if they're interested in this. Um, and he stood by them. He, essentially, he said, yes, no, I still believe in that. Um, wow. Yeah. Now, in 2006, when his career basically was, he, like I say, he hadn't made a movie since 2003. <clears throat> and he was interviewed by The Times. And by that time, he had seemingly flipped his position on this uh, he said that uh, in my view I don't believe that any level of abuse against women is ever justified under any circumstances full stop uh, now that to me and I think to a lot of people uh, it's a little bit too little too late by that time those earlier comments are embedded in the public consciousness um, you know it's very hard to reconcile you know that I mean the, these interviews and quotes were always around and I was aware of them, you know, even before there was an internet when I could go and look them up and see that that TV interview from 1987. So as soon as I became more interested in in the actor and kind of going, maybe he's my favourite actor, maybe I just like everything he does, even if it's bad. Um, and I became more interested in examining maybe the real persona behind him, behind the performance that I, that I enjoyed so much. I, I very quickly became aware that these these words that he had said existed. And this is the first time, and I've had to do it a lot, really, in the last 15, 20 years, um, when I had to re-examine the idea that an artist whose work that I might admire might hold views that I find indefensible and reprehensible. Because, and this, I think, is the key thing between being a fan and being a fanatic. Um, You know, I think when it comes to actors, especially, you can admire how an actor portrays a character. You can love that character and the film that it's in but the reality of it is i think if i if i met sean connery when he was alive in real life i i wouldn't get on with him because of his politics because Mm. of his temperament because of all of this stuff as i say he had a reputation to be a man who didn't suffer fools gladly he had a terrible temper apparently he was very i would generously say careful with money (laughs) but um you know uh these are 
that you you only have to look back at as well kind of those early movies even the bond movies and you know he plays these characters that they are they are he's very quick to raise his fists in anger against against the female characters in the films whether they're double agents or just women who don't want to give him what he wants you know um so looking back now as as what i would say back in my teenage years as connery super fan i think it's right that we judge him harshly um mm. you know at but we also have to be aware, I suppose, about the wider world at the time and the misogyny that in 1965, again, he was giving this interview to Playboy magazine. And that was, you know, that was so prevalent. But the fact is, we have to be aware that that is something that women have to live with still today. So it hurts me to say this before we go into a tribute to one of my favorite <laughs> actors, Sean Connery. But at the same time, I feel I have to. Sean Connery was a bit of a dick. He was a dick, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, like, I agree absolutely with everything you're saying. And I think, you know, there's a real discussion that you could have around, you know, the idea of cancelling, you know, somebody because of crimes past, let's say. And obviously this, you know, is minor when you compare it to stuff like, say, fucking, I don't know. John Depp or you know what I mean let's say or somebody like that in the sphere at the moment you know um but do you just cancel everything they've done and don't talk about it again and you know uh wash it from your mind I don't know I've a lot yeah. of difficulty with that but and I think I, what I, we've done is right yeah I think everybody needs to make their own choice yeah, yeah. It's, a, exactly. it's a bit of a bigger it's, conversation than you know you can't mm. put all this weight on Sean Connery either because that's not no. entirely fair it's, it's mm. a bigger issue than that and plus you know personally i think um you know i i can remove uh, an actor and their body of work from the actual person because i don't really yeah. care about the actual person like all the actors i like i don't actually care about their personal lives or anything like that really i i care about the movies they're in and the performance they give the same way i like the beatles um even though john lennon used to beat women as well you know like yeah. that's yeah that's a great yeah. great great thing i mean I yeah think no i think that's look... i think that's true i i would be very much the same as you ross i like to you know uh remove myself from their personal life that kind of thing except when it's keanu reeves and he hooks up with somebody else that's all <laughs> i <I'd> think <laughs> but uh you know i i totally agree and i think that's the way actually to approach it uh this is an actor this is its work you know look at the work for what it is and forget like not forget the other stuff but I don't cancel his work because of his crimes, basically. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, or his views in this case. Well, yes, yeah. uh, great. Well, that was the serious portion of the <laughs> yeah. evening yeah. over. So, <laughs> you, you like to have some fun? Yeah. Okay. Always. Absolutely. Right. Well, often we like to have a surprise quiz on <laughs> the podcast. When we you say had one, when like, you say like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the last one was. Um, what was the last one? I can't remember now. Was Can it, I just say, it's only you two who do the surprise quizzes. Well, yeah, that, that has been notably absent on your approach now. <laughs> okay, I'm going to well, have to up my game on yeah. that one. Pop quiz, hot shot. As you, as you said, Sinead, you thought that the only reason I picked this, act, this actor is because I enjoy, I enjoy giving my, my vocal representation. <laughs> so what I thought we would do is I have 10 quotes from Sean Connery films that okay. I will uh, perform to you in the voice of Sean Connery. And if you could tell me the film that they're from, you'll get a point. And if you can't, you will go in shame to, I don't know, wherever they send people who don't get quizzes on podcasts. Right? <laughs> so this is a section called Quotable Quotes. 
So, greetings. <laughs> the first question goes to you, Sinead. Okay. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain, and I'm at your service. Oh, Jesus. Is it weird that I'm strangely attracted to the same <laughs> Say that again for me. <laughs> um, I don't know who this is. Um, really? I don't know what's from. I don't know what's from, no. Uh, Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. Famous Spaniard and Egyptian yeah. in a movie about Scottish people. No, I don't know. Really? I don't Lost, know. Do you want to try and grab it? I definitely do. It's actually a movie I just saw for the first time just two you weeks only, ago. Oh, I can't believe you only saw it for the first time. Yeah, I did. Uh, Highlander. Yes, correct. Oh, Highlander. Damn it. Have I was going seen... to say Highlander and then I said no in my mind. Have you seen Highlander? Sorry? Have you seen Highlander? Oh, yeah, I have, yeah. Oh, okay. If you're playing the drinking game where no yeah, yeah. freaks out because people haven't seen things, then take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't seen it in ages, and I had it. In my mind, I was like, Highlander, and then I just went, oh, I don't know. I panicked. Oh, tr- trust, trust your mind. Trust your instincts. Okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So this is for you, uh, Ross, okay? Okay. You fulfilled the first rule of law enforcement. Make sure when your shift is over, you go home alive. He'll end at the lesson. I would say, right, it's as clearly a Scottish accent, so he must be playing a Scottish character. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, no, I'd say that's Untouchables, is it? It is, yeah. correct. Oh, untouchables. damn you. Yeah. Um, okay, you should get this, Sinead, all right? Okay. Oh, and I'm going to really get in, I'm going to get into this, this character's mindset, okay? I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. <laughs> Let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky. <laughs> oh, my God. Um... I oh, no, she this. doesn't know. She doesn't know it. I see. I'm not like Bond is all I fucking know, really, of Connie. Oh, OK. Um, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a, an extra quote from this character. OK. That I know of her. OK. I should have. Na- uh, sorry. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> me, 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 me. I should have mailed my diary to the Marx Brothers. Oh. All right. So I'll give you one more. Not a clue. Not a I'll clue. I'll give you one more. One more clue. We named the dog Indiana. Oh. That's too obvious. <laughs> she needed help, Ross. She needed help. I did need help, yeah, yeah Indiana Jones. <laughs> okay, so it's two Last months for Ross there. All right, this is going to be... This is Ross now. I think you get it, though. Let's hope. Once more, we play our dangerous game. A game of chess against our old adversary, the American Navy. For 40 years, your fathers before you and your older brothers played this game and played it well. But the day the game is different, we have the advantage. Is that uh, K-19 the Widowmaker? He wasn't... Are you serious? No, I got serious? No, I got that mixed up. Shit. Oh, no, I'm going to have to say it's no. It's the other submarine Jenny, do you want? do you want to steal it? Is, the it, submarine... is, it, is it The Rock? The submarine movie starring Sean oh, Connery. Oh, uh, Hunt for Red October. Hunt for Red October. Yes, there we go. It's two all now. Oh, well I, I'm really embarrassed. Sorry, I knew. I knew. I. I could. Yeah, I could see. I could see him saying those words on screen. But I, yeah. the, to be fair, Ross, it's hard uh, when you don't. When you're not like watching Sean Connery all well, the time. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay, this is for you, Sinead. All right. Okay. I, I, Jesus, I don't have a lot of. Here. Okay. Now this is a cameo. He kind of comes in at the very okay. end of this film. Okay, the very end. Okay. And there's a wedding happening. I'm setting it up for you. 
and someone Jesus. says if anybody has any also the peace kind of best visit any, uh, yeah if anybody has any objections for this wedding speak now and he comes in on his big horse and he goes I will not allow this wedding to proceed unless I'm allowed to give the bride away oh I do know it oh my god um oh shit I can see him I can see him doing that there he is there yeah oh no this is not good I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pass I actually don't know I can see the scene I fucking can, can't tell you the film have a clue Ross do you have anything is it the first night the last night it is not first night okay. oh my no. god it's Robin Hood Prince of Peace damn it god damn okay I knew I could see him flipping your woman the plate yeah okay that was a disaster. Mm. <laughs> okay, I don't know. At the moment, I think we're even Stevens. Yeah, not a yeah. very, not a very impressive score. But I'll be honest with you that they get harder from here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, so uh, all right, I'm gonna leave that one maybe for Sinead because it's slightly easier. Well, I do not know Sean Connery movies. <laughs> better be from one of the movies I reviewed for today <laughs> uh, no they're not they're all from later Sean Connery okay, okay. so uh, right so this one is for you Ross John Steed what a horse's arse of a name Did you, uh, oh. I don't know either no I, it's not coming to me okay okay give him a clue give him a clue I've no You gave him a clue because he gave me a few And I'll give it in, in, in the. Uh, he played a character called Sir August de Winter in this. Rem- <gasps> uh, this was a uh, uh, movie remake of a famous 60s TV show. And it also shares the name of the biggest movie franchise, I think, that there is in the world today. Oh, The Avengers. <laughs> okay, there you go. You got it. Great. <laughs> 1998's <laughs> The Avengers. Okay, that line did sound familiar. Not a terribly good movie. <laughs> Oh, it's no. terrible. One it's of the worst, you might terrible. say, yeah. yeah. I would say one of the worst. And finally then, so now this, you could you could end even with this, Sinead, or Ross could run, run away with it. So the last okay. question. Um, I think you've done your best this evening. This is me speaking. I think you've done really well. I, I kind of thought that you'd do better, but your best. Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. With consent, obviously, because the prom oh. queen will have agreed to it. You spoke about it earlier on. Come on, think about it. What what kind of a film would that be in? Yeah. Um, I spoke about it earlier on. Jesus. You did? Yeah. Um, he was opposite another actor who's got a famous... I can't do an impression of him, but he was... You know, he was teamed up with a younger actor. They were trying to stop... Was it The Rock? Murder. It was The Rock! Yeah! Oh, thank God. Oh. <laughs> So once again, my idea of a, a good quiz has gone terrible because my two co-hosts know nothing about anything about films. Hey, next to nothing hey. is what you meant to say. <laughs> next to nothing, yes. Well, if the quiz was like, you know, he was starred with, alongside Sean Connery and such and such, or, you know, like give us the plot and then tell us the, you know, oh, yeah. the film. Okay, so but if I just read quotes. out the IMDb listing for the film. That'd be helpful. And then... Yeah. yeah. If you let us the water <laughs> and then help us drink, that would be great. Yeah, it'd okay. be great. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm being very unfair. You you did a, you did you did a great job there, both of you. It's just I feel I didn't do my impressions good enough. So that's what it was. <laughs> that's what it was. All down to the impressions. <laughs> but I am I am so uh, excited to hear about. So I 
we're going to start with you, Ross, aren't we, with the hill? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this, I mean, I gave you kind of what I would call serious Connery. So um, you had a couple of choices, um, both of you, I think, and you kind of picked the ones that you'd have time to watch and what you wanted to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the earliest one, really. This is from uh, 1964, I think. He, he had just literally, he went from Goldfinger he was making Goldfinger and he couldn't even go to the premiere of that because he was filming this at the time. So I, I can't wait to hear what you thought about this film. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so of the selection that Niall gave me, uh, I went for two movies that he suggested and that was The Hill and The Offence. And they're two movies which connect Sean Connery with legendary film director um, Sidney Lumet. And um, if you don't know Sidney Met, you'd recognise his movies. He's behind such classic movies as 12 Angry Men, Network, Dog Day Afternoon and Serpico. But for a period of maybe 30 years, Sidney Lumet and Sean Connery collaborated. Not all the time, but they did it sporadically. Uh, and together they had five movies uh, together. And uh, the, this was the, the Hill was the first of their cab- uh, collaborations. And... Um, you know, I'm going to get that into that in a little bit because I want to talk about the other movies they collaborated as well. They followed up The Hill with the Anderson tapes in 1971. That's a neo-noir crime movie. And in that, uh, Connery's playing John Duke Anderson, who's like a burglar who's re- recently released from prison after 10 years. And he straight away goes around plotting to rob every tenant in an expensive New York apartment building. Uh, interesting enough, it was also Christopher Walken's big screen debut. After that, the next movie they did together was uh, in 1973, and that was The Offence, which I will be chatting about a little bit later on. And the following year, Connery was the first person to get a call from Lumet um, for his all-star imagining of Agatha Christie's murder on the Orient Express. Um, Connery, he plays the the role of Colonel Arbutnot, uh, but he was in good company. Uh, There's an all-star cast in that. You have the likes of Lauren Bacall, Albert Finney, who we talked about recently on an episode, Ingrid Bergman, Vanessa Redgrave, and even Psycho himself, Anthony Perkins, as as well as many, many other stars in there. And, And I suppose... Of the films they, they, they collaborated on, Murdered on the Orange Express was the best received um, at the time of its release. Uh, release anyway, it was nominated for six Academy Awards. Uh, Ingrid Berman actually won Best Supporting Actress. Uh, and the film was just, it was a complete smash, critically and commercially. And it actually became the first fully UK finance film to top the, the US box office chart. Um, so I, th- I think that... Like people still see that as the definitive version of Agatha Christie's uh, murder mystery, despite Kenneth Branagh's recent release of it, which I th- don't think really uh, got much much acclaim. And then after that, their final movie they did the, the final movie they did together uh, that didn't come for another fifteen years after Murder on the Orient Express, and that was 1989's Family Business. And now at this stage, and I think Niall probably alluded to it a little, a little bit earlier on, um, uh, this was this, like Sean Connery's kind of second wind. His star power was kind of on the rise again. He got praised for his role in Name of the Rose, which I think Niall would be chatting about later on. And as well as that, he also had an Oscar-winning uh, supporting performance in The Untouchables in 87. So it was very much a second wind. And, um, and it was in 1989 the family business came out. Um, and the, actually the same year that marked him playing the role of Indiana Jones' father in The Loose Crusade. But Family Business was one that I actually saw first, and in, in it, Connery plays like a roguish veteran career criminal 
Uh, Dustin Hoffman plays his son who kind of turned his back on the life of crime after starting his own family. Uh, when we come and watch a movie, Hoffman's son has since grown up. He's now played by Matthew Broderick. And he's very much charmed and swayed by his granddad, Sean Connery. And um, he's starting to get a bit tempted into the life of crime. So this movie, uh, Family Business, it's a slightly more disjointed movie. Um, and it, it sees Connery kind of, as he did as he got older, I think, relying just more on his kind of easy charm uh, instead of maybe some of the intensity of his early roles. And it, it's probably a bit of an odd point for their collaborations together, Sidney Lumet and... Uh, Sean Connery because they did some unbelievable work before that and I'll get into that now in a second also I'm not sure how believe how you know if I actually believe the lineage from Sean Connery to Dustin Hoffman to Matthew Broderick I just <laughs> I just don't see that being uh, believable as a grandfather father and uh, and son as well and like Niall mentioned there how Sean Connery was like 12 years old 11 or 12 years old and Harrison Ford when he played his his dad in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. But how about this? In Family Business, he's playing Dustin Hoffman's father, despite only being seven, year, seven years older than him in real life. Um, if anyone could be a dad at seven, though, it probably could be Sean Connery, to be fair. Um, but yeah, to my shame, though, before this week, Family Business was actually the only one of the five films from Cillian Lumet and Sean Connery that I had actually seen. Um, so to, that's to my shame, but I was really, really delighted to get a chance to have a little bit of a glimpse into their work together. And it was a relationship that was um, mutually beneficial, really, because for Connery, he had a desire to be challenged and, 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 taken, and wanted to be taken seriously as an actor. Uh, Lumet, he, you know, he has an A-lister who wants to get on board with him so he can now get financing. He had more creative freedom. So they kind of were able to work with each other in that way where Connery could bring on financers and get people interested in the movie because he was quite an A-lister <coughs> and Lumet would be able to do what he wanted to do because he had an A-lister on his side. Yeah, just, I mean, we, we talked about, I don't know if you remember, back in our previous podcast, mm. we did an episode about... Um, uh, movies or directors or people who should have won Oscars yes who yeah. haven't and Sidney Lumet was my pick because despite the fact that so many actors have gone on to win Oscars for appearing in movies that he directed mm. he never won the best director Oscar and you know it is he has this reputation as being a director that actors really want to work with mm. and you can see that the fact that he, you know Connery worked with him in the hill so early on and then would go back again so many times you know so yeah well that was the case as well when he was doing murder on the Orient Express because there's a lot of big names in there and the reason I think he went to Connery first was because he wanted to secure an A-lister so other one other A-listers might be encouraged to join but I don't think that was necessary because as you said he was seen as an actor's director and they were all keen to, to get involved. It is a shame he wasn't recognised by Academy. I think he did get a lifelong um, contribution Oscar yeah. or something like that. But it's you know it's a shame he wasn't recognised. Um, you know for one of his many great great films. Um, but yeah, The Hill was the first one um, that I said I'd watch, and it is the it's the first it's the first um, it's the first time they collaborated together. And at this stage, it was in the early sixties, nineteen sixty four, and um, of course Sean Connery was a big star in the sixties. And it's hard to believe now, but the first, it's hard to believe now because of the big gaps we get in between Bond movies. But for the first 
four Bond movies. They came out in very quick succession. Doctor No, for example, that was out in 1962. And then there was one Bond movie released every year until 1965's Thunderball. So just an incredible run. And some of the best Bond movies as well, of course. So the James Bond films were incredibly successful, obviously. And Connery was like a household name at that stage. Um, But... He wanted to kind of progress beyond that and he of course was worried about being typecast as 007 and he wanted to branch out and show that he was more capable as an actor than just playing the vodka martini uh, swigging womanizing super spy. So uh, the, The Hill which came out in 64 that was kind of put in that was released between goldfinger and thunderball and as niall mentioned already of course he he missed the premiere for for goldfinger because he was working on this movie and he agree uh, he agreed to play the part of um ex-sergeant major joe roberts and to be honest like having him in this role as i said probably helped secure funding for the movie but like lumet didn't back down he apparently told connery before film began look I'm not the kind of director that has too much respect for stars. I'm going to make brutal demands of you physically and emotionally. And he said, look, Connery was up for it. He had no problem in a meet- in meeting and actually indeed going beyond his expectations. So The Hill is it's a prison drama film set in an army prison in North Africa at the end of the Second World War. Uh, Connery, as I said, he plays the role of ex-Sergeant Major Joe Roberts. He lands himself in the prison after he's convicted of assaulting his commanding officer. But there's loads of other prisoners there, of course, for a myriad of reasons. You have uh, people in there from insubordination, uh, being drunk while on duty, going AWOL, theft, all the typical stuff you do to try to get out of service in World War II, I guess. Um, But the prison itself, it's in this scorching desert, and uh, it's under the watchful eye of of Major Bert Wilson. He's played by Harry Andrews. Um, and he is just like this really, really strict officer who believes in breaking the spirits of, of the inmates through really grueling physical labor uh, throughout the movie. And in particular, one punishment that he really enjoys putting the prisoners through is running uh, running the inmates over the, the hill, the titular hill. Um, it's basically in the middle of the prison. It's a large man-made sandbank that is just pushed together and basically the the prisoners are just put uh, are just ordered to run back and forward over this big big hill to the point of physical exhaustion like it's one of those classic examples i think um that we sometimes see in movies of how the most effective torture is sometimes the most simple in this have a pile of mud or have a pile of sand put it up in a desert get people to run back and forward until they collapse from exhaustion and like with the sweltering heat of the desert and like even like have you ever like ran on sand it's horrific, it's horrific. imagine doing that at a, yeah. like a you know a, a really steep angle um there's a reason that they have boot camps at the beach let's just be honest yeah. you know <laughs> absolutely and uh and uh, couple that with the, the just the heat of the desert um like it's not hard to see um it, it's not long before you can see it drives inmates to just absolute exhaustion uh, and now one uh, on top of that as well one of the the prison guards is a complete bully he's uh ian Hen- hendry he's playing staff uh sergeant w- williams and he takes a particular particular disliking to um connery's cellmates who kind of all arrive in together uh, but one in particular that he pushes um just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing uh to a point where he he collapses and dies like there's one particularly cruel scene i think where 
he gets the prisoner to actually put a, a gas mask over his face before running over the hill in the sweltering heat and it's just it's just dismally cruel it's it's an awful scene to watch um so after the, after his cellmate dies connery kind of accuses um henry's character of murdering the prisoner and he's a battle against him and and uh, and the the strict prison boss as well uh, harry andrews to try and get justice uh, but it's just you know, there's so many great performances in this movie. As I mentioned, Ian and Hendry and Harry Andrews, who are who are like the the prison guards and officers, they just give unbelievably. They just give great performances and great, great actors too. Absolutely, them. Ian Hendry. Unfortunately, his his career I think never really took off. Harry Andrews maybe would be familiar to people from the early days of cinema, maybe. And he would I would know him from one of the Kryptonian elders from Superman the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but they're, they're so like I've seen prison officers before. They're so sadistic, but you can see Harry Andrews, um, who's the over you know the, the 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 head prison officer, trying to balance power as well. He he doesn't really like how slippery and it's snaky. Ian Andrew, his subordinate, is, um, but he still goes to protect him. Uh, it's a it's a really great performance. But as well as that, like Connery's cellmates as well. You have Alfred Lynch. Who um who plays the the the, the inmate that they push too far and, and ends up dying? If Ossie Davis, who plays um one of the prisoners as well, who's black and he gets a lot of stick from the prison officer for that. He's called horrific names by the the prison guards as well and faces a lot faces a lot of ri- uh, racism there. You have Roy Kinnear and Jack Watson, and they all individually have so much to bring to uh to the to the movie. They all give really really spirited performances and. They all themselves have their own kind of obstacles that they face within the prison. But, of course, at the centre of the movie is Sean Connery. And I can see why he'd go for this to try to break out of the mould of James Bond. Because it's exactly the kind of movie that would do that. Like, this movie, it wasn't, like, it wasn't a big success. It wasn't a big commercial success. But it, it really showed what Connery was capable of. Probably it didn't reach the heights of his acting ability which we saw in a later movie The Offence which I'll get to later on but it showed he showed you maybe got a glimpse of of where he might go as an actor um, but yeah look when, when I think of this movie I had no idea what to expect going into it and I quite enjoy uh, I quite enjoy prison um, war prison uh, movies like uh, Papillon or, or, or The Great Escape or something like that but this was yeah. just a completely different animal I think um, yeah, I mean, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it is. It is so different because I think we're so used to seeing uh, World War Two prison movies about you know plucky British soldiers mm. trying to get out and escape from from Nazi prison camps, and this was this is a completely different film. And I think it's an amazing testament to the fact that Lumet was such a good director because. It is quintessentially British, I think. Yeah. I mean, all the cast are British. Michael Redgrave is the doctor there um, as well, I think, is is fantastic. He's he's sympathetic, but he, he's kind of ineffectual. And it's a, it's a while since I've seen it. But, you know, if you told me that somebody, one of the great British directors like David Lean or somebody yeah. had directed it, I would have gone, yeah, yeah. But he, he just, he really gets to grips with his source material and gives a, a, a you know produces a, a re- great performances from from casts it really well and produces great performances from the actors that he's working the with. The one word that I think that stuck out to me when I was watching this movie is 
grueling and not as a, a watch mm. it's a it's, mm. a it's a really enjoyable well not enjoyable it's a, it's it's a really interesting watch and, and I, I really like the movie but it's grueling for the you you get exactly what the prisoners are going through um like from the from the moment the, the movie begins there's no music in it throughout and i think he's definitely trying to send he's sending a message there uh in, in that but from the moment they arrive at the prison it's non-stop torment um they can't walk anywhere they have to on the double they have to run and like even as they carry their their food from the, the you know from the servers to the, their cell they have to they have to run so it's all spilling all over them and stuff like that it's just yeah it's 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 a great movie though and i was really really taken aback by connery's performance in it and i think you know that was 64 i i think he could have went <coughs> a different direction with his acting career based on the strength of that but yeah i look a really really good look into i suppose what early sean connery was capable of yeah. Can I ask now? I've got three questions to ask both of you when you talk mm-hmm. about your films. Uh, so first of all, uh, Ross, yes. how was the facial hair? <laughs> this is this is kind of Sean facial hair period, if you yeah. like. This is the start of it. So can you talk us through what's going on? Okay, the facial hair. Well, it, as I said, it was between Goldfinger and Thunderball, and yeah. uh, you, if you're familiar with those movies, you might think that. He actually, you know what? If he had a full head of hair, he does have a full head of hair in this. Although you can, now I'm, I'm talking about facial okay. hair. Full well, head I'm of hair is a different overall picture. <laughs> trying to give an overall picture. <laughs> oh, that's question number <laughs> yeah, two. Okay, his facial hair is hair. very strong. I uh, it gives Good. a really really. Strong he's got he's got a tash, doesn't he? Very military. Matash. He does. He, very military he, tash. Very. He looks like the comic books of like GI Joe. Do you know, very. He's yeah. very. He, he's very like stern looking, and the tash just. Down to, yeah, suits him down to the ground. He looks like he looks a proper military man. Yeah, okay. And now the hair higher up on the head, how is that? Yeah, it's still all there, which is surprising. You can tell it's probably <laughs> starting to thin a little bit. I know he was wearing a toupee in his role as Bond. He is a very, he is a very, very short haircut, like a you know a buzz cut almost. Um, but it's still there, which I was surprised. Okay, and my la- my third and final question: How is the Connery section? <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> well, you know, seeing as he's a prison with a load of dudes, you know, I guess <laughs> <laughs> it's all right to say you felt a little quiver downstairs. Uh, yeah, uh, no, like loads of sweaty dudes um, hyperventilating as they launch themselves over a sandbank. What well, wouldn't really get me going, to be fair, but. <laughs> Um, to me, that sounds like reality TV. Yeah. That's it, it like, yeah, it's like a really sadistic Takeshi's Castle. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it was it was it was a really good movie. And for anyone who enjoys their 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 prison dramas or their their prison movies, give it a watch because it's one that I hadn't have heard of, hadn't heard of before, and it's one that's definitely worth um, you know if you haven't seen it, given giving it a, a viewing. So now we move from. Serious? Well, not I don't know. Well, serious Connery, I suppose, to more adventurous Connery. With, yes. Uh, with uh, the uh, well, now in in England it was called the first Great Train Robbery. Yes, but in that's America right, yeah. it was called the Great Train Robbery. I don't think they knew because I think there had been a sixties train robbery that then was bigger than news um i think buster the movie buster is about that so they had to kind of re retitle it but uh yeah so tell us about this film yeah this is from 1978 and as you rightly mentioned this is very much crime heist caper adventure action all of that and he stars alongside uh, donald sutherland uh, leslie and dowdles in this as well wayne sleep 
the fantastic <laughs> dancer is in this as well and uh, it's been a long time since I sat watching a film where I experienced eight right belly laughs and stomach knots at the same time because these characters are placed in such kind of sweat inducing tense <laughs> moments in this film and then it's hilarious at the same time this movie though is up there as an example of a great good old-fashioned crime caper where you are rooting for the bad guys straight away with this um, now this is based on um michael crichton of course who we all know obviously from jurassic park and everything else but he he wrote a book but this screenplay was very it's much very adapted uh, yeah it was very different but i actually actually found just some nice little tidbits here from Crichton and his thoughts he wrote kind of in a diary about um working on the the film and everything else and he says you know at first he's daunted by the task of being a director um you know he it's only his third movie and he's secretly terrified even though he's getting to actually be a director shooting in foreign locations with huge movie stars but he is fearful because he's not really an experienced director um he says he doesn't feel authoritative at all you know but he said working with sean connery he found it just so so fascinating and he really had a great friendship with him he said connery agreed to do his own stunts the most dangerous of which uh, people are seeing obviously in the movie consisted of him moving around the top of a speeding vintage 1863 locomotive he says in such an era in an era such as ours so starved for positive male role models and living kind of examples of masculinity uh, he says that you know him taking this on was just incredible he says he throws himself into work with abandon he's one of the most remarkable people i've ever met light-hearted and serious at the same moment and he said he learned a huge deal from being around him he says he's at ease with himself he's direct and frank you know i like to eat with my fingers he says eating with his fingers in a fancy restaurant not giving a damn uh he says people come over for an autograph when he's eating with his fingers and he glowers at them and says i'm eating he says sternly come back later kind of thing uh, which they do and he politely signs their menus so you know but he says uh, one thing that he's learned kind of from him is he kind of said used to kind of say these things like I'm here for the day I can enjoy that day or not I decided I might as well enjoy it and that's the quality that Crichton loved about him but this idea of being so masculine and authoritative and all the rest he, he admired but he says he also is such a gifted mimic much like you Niall uh, he likes to rehearse alone, playing all the parts himself. And he does this startlingly accurate imitations of I find everyone, that hard. Including I find Donald, that hard to believe. Donald Sutherland, <laughs> Leslie Ann Down, and uh, he loves doing it, apparently. Well, that that's uh, so that is exactly how I prepare for every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what you're going to say and then do your voices. But the thing so, is, how can Sean Connery yeah. mimic if he can't do anything but his own accent? <sighs> But nobody well, wants this is the thing, right? I mean, let's not jump on, on the review of the Great Train Robbery. But yeah. nobody wants to hear Sean Connery not do his own accent because that's what he's known for. Yeah. I'm just surprised there he could. Go. But I don't know, I think I think he probably could have you know, look, this is what Crichton's <laughs> writing. I'm not gonna dispute what he's saying. Anyway, right, um so as I mentioned, nineteen seventy eight, this is when this was uh, released and he Crichton was this is his first directing role and all the rest of it but the plot is based on the great gold robbery of 1855 okay so this took place 15th of May 1855 when a routine shipment of three boxes of gold bullion and coins were stolen from the guards van of the service between London Bridge Station and Folkestone 
when it was being shipped off to Paris. The robbers, there were four men, two of whom, William Tester and James Burgess, were employees of the South Eastern Railway at the time. So that's the service uh, that ran the railway. Uh, they were joined by two planners of the crime, Edward Agar, a professional career criminal, and William Pierce, a former employee, uh, uh, former employee who had been dismissed for gambling. So during the transit, the gold was held in railway safes, which needed two keys to open. So the men took wax impressions of the keys, made their own copies, found out when the shipment was going to take place. Uh, They bribed the guard on duty, got him in on it, and they managed to empty the safes of 224 pounds. That's 102 kilograms of gold, right? Now, at the time, that was valued at about 12,000 pounds. It's well over a million in 2019. And then they left the train at Dover. Okay, so this really happened. Okay, so Crichton was inspired by this wrote the book and the whole uh, the whole lot of it and then went on and, and, and made the movie. So in this movie, you have Edward, Edward Pierce Algar and you have Miriam in this. Now, Miriam wasn't part of the book. She was very much added into this. So she's yeah. the mistress kind of character in this. It's like a fabrication think, just for drama. Yeah. So what happens is you um, meet Pierce. This is played by um, Edward Pierce, played by Sean, Sean, Connery, Sean Connery. And he's very dapper altogether. You know, he's uh, dressed in finery and you're thinking, oh, this guy must be very wealthy and all the rest of it. And he is in a gentleman's club and uh, he is very much kind of listening to uh, a guy called Henry Fowler, who is uh, an employer, uh, employee, sorry, at the bank. Uh, he's a bank manager essentially like and he's talking about the fact that they trans uh, transport this you know huge huge cargoes of gold monthly and it's a payment for british troops fighting in the in 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 a war at the time yes that's it that's it and uh he's telling all you know this and it's he's pretty much giving all the details literally i mean this is the thing like they're all they're all (laughs) middle-aged men some of them like not all of them look as good as Sean Connery I tell you like no. they're, they're and they're just going yeah but who could possibly we're all gentlemen here this is all fine we'll tell you all yes. about our security and how to rob our train yeah that's exactly it so he's there and then you realize actually he is a con man so he recruits Robert Agar, who's played by Donald Sutherland. He's a pin uh, pickpocket and an excellent screwsman. Uh, also, uh... do you know what a screwsman is? Did you get? Because this film, one thing I loved about this film when I saw it was it makes no kind of, uh, you know, consent to kind of go. It uses all these Victorian terms. Yes. That that yes. I've learned since about you know cracksman, screwsman, and dip, and all this. Did you find that off-putting or did you... Not at all. You, you, yeah. you, you get it that he's it essentially yeah. able to yeah. crack the safe and yeah. essentially and also make these keys and everything yeah. else. Um, and then, as I mentioned, Pierce's mistress, uh, played by Leslie Ann Dane, who's fantastic. She plays Miriam. She's an excellent cons woman, a mistress of disguise, <laughs> uh, you might say. And also uh, the his chauffeur as well, he's in on the plot. So And a train guard as well, is bribed kind of to basically make this all work so essentially this gold is transported on this train every single month but there's four keys that need to open the the safes now 
two of them are in the train's station, which is heavily guarded. And the other two are entrusted to Fowler's character, who's telling him, telling the ball, oh, well, don't worry. I uh, keep the fucking uh, key around my neck, basically, is what he says. Yeah. And I don't take it off, even while bathing, you know. And then you have his boss, I presume, uh, the president of the bank, Trent is his name. And uh, he's a little bit trickier now to kind of crack in terms of where is his key hidden yeah. um but i suppose pierce figures that every man has a weakness so he <laughs> uh makes miriam go out and try and uh seduce trent this much older gentleman can i just say that doesn't work he's obviously not that way inclined however they do figure out that he, he has one enjoys... love doesn't he, he yes he does he does have one love called uh, ratting <laughs> it's a blood sport uh involving his terrier oh, dog and basically a load of rats thrown into a pit. It's all very brutal and masculine. And what they do is they throw all the rats into the pit and the dog basically has a certain amount of time. So say Trent can say, oh, three minutes to kill 15 rats. Yeah, and they they bet on this. I couldn't work out... I sincerely hope that no rats were harmed in the building of this. I don't know. I, I, I sincerely know. hope they got the hope. finest rats to pretend to be dead <laughs> and a dog then not to go near them. So, yeah, because the dog looks a bit brutal afterwards. It, he yeah, does. Yeah. Um, so this is the way then that uh, Pierce kind of in- infiltrates uh, Trent because he pretends, you know, he has an interest in this ratting and they strike a bit of a friendship and he introduces him to his spinster daughter who is the oddest, most boring woman ever. Oh, that's um, very unfair order... on spinster daughters. <laughs> I love the in scene to... though when, when they're having... Be couple... more interesting. Do you want him as a husband? <laughs> Seriously. But then the mother um, is there coming on to him. Yeah, I was yeah. loving that. Oh, that I thought the mother was excellent in that, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so he's he's obviously, you know, um, pretending he's interested in the daughter to learn the whereabouts of the key, which is revealed to be in the wine cellar. Very clever hiding spot for this. And in a very funny, yet, oh my God, my stomach was in bits watching <laughs> it, um, scene, they, himself and Donald Sutherland's character, they arrive at this very grand house and the two <laughs> ladies are playing piano as is their way, you know, to pass the time in the evening. That's what ladies do uh, of, of an evening. Yes, and they're playing piano and uh, Trent is obviously out of the picture or he's in a different part of the house, I think. And what they do is they, Miriam is in a coach and she arrives at the door and she rings the doorbell to distract the doorman and the two lads go into the house and they uh, quickly descend into the wine cellar managing to avoid the gaze of the ladies who are so intently playing their pianos. (laughs) And in they go to the cellar and they're rooting around for this key and Donald Sutherland's character won't stop fecking sneeze and and it's just like they're gonna hear you oh my god they clatter into the gate as well at one point as well in the cellar and it's just like jesus just get the imprint of the key so they manage to anyway uh, so they have that they get that imprint of the key on the wax and then uh, they also have to get of course fowler's key from around his neck so they come up with this plan that they're going to pimp out Miriam, basically. Oh, Miriam's getting pimped out an awful lot in this movie. <laughs> she's, she yeah. really is. Yeah. Um, well, she's not happy she, about this, though. She's not happy. Yeah. No, she's not happy at all. But she pretends to be a French uh, prostitute in a brothel. And uh, she has to try and get the key. So she manages to get the key off his neck. And I just knew it when she was putting the key down on the chair. I knew Donald Sutherland was going to be behind the curtain, ready but, to take his wax yeah, imprint there, or whatever. And it's scene. a great scene. Yeah, yeah. It's a great there's scene. a great scene as well when Sean Connery's discussing with her 
about what yes. he wants her to do. And she's like, I don't want to do it. And he's like, well, you know, you if you don't want to do it, you know, you, you can decide how much you want to do. And he's just eating an orange. And I'm just, <laughs> you're, you cannot stop watching him eat this orange. And you know he's going to get his own way because she's yeah. deeply in love with him. And, you know, she, she wants to to be part of this and all that and something happens then during the the whole thing that she doesn't have to go as far as she she might well the guys bail her out which is really cool the way they bail her out Um, but I love the way he gives her half the orange when she's just like you know (laughs) (laughs) well uh, he does eat fruit a lot around her as well for some reason Um, but uh, yeah so then they they get these keys but then of course they have the two keys but they need to get these other two that are really under lock and key completely at the station and they come up with a really funny and i'm talking slapstick just really well choreographed scene where they employ a young ragamuffin little uh, street urchin to go pretend he's robbed miriam and the, you know get the police attention on this little boy and you know he runs up into the office where the keys are held and there's all manners of scuppering and clambering and all the rest of it but they don't manage to get into the to the cabinet where the keys are held so they have to do this at night time and again my back to my stomach being in knots because the guard outside so he's there all night and donald sutherland's kind of casing him out and all the rest of it each night and um he says okay we have a 75 second window to get these feckin' two keys imprinted like because your man he has his beer at two o'clock in the morning at half two he has to pee he takes 75 seconds I've timed it each night and that's what I have to do that's the only time I have and it's just like Jesus you're never going to do this so I I meant to say as well they do enlist um the help of uh Wayne Sleep's character of course uh who is snake a petty criminal who's in jail what's his name yes someone yeah, I can't it's think it's of his name. Clean Willy. It's important to have a clean Willy. That's his name. Oh, Especially um, in so many, so they uh, enlist... you know, so many people pretend to be prostitutes. It's very important to have a clean Willy. Well, you see, yeah. He, I, I wouldn't say he does have a clean Willy either by the look of him, to be honest. But he, he, escapes, he escapes from jail in a fantastic sequence, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. And I'm talking, you know, like not even just like his skills in terms of scaling the wall and all that. So there's a, there's, you know, this is the 1800s. So there's still hanging so basically everyone's attention is distracted by a hanging and uh, he decides to break out there's like proper rusty iron spikes that he can impale himself uh, on the top of the wall and he manages to get out now not unscathed but he does get out and it's a fantastic you know kind of edge of your seat moment as well so they enlist this guy i suppose he's kind of like the grease man i suppose if we want a better word because he can you know get out, escape from things and get into places and all this kind of stuff so he gets into the office you know where the keys are undetected and he's supposed to be there to open the door essentially for donald sutherland's character uh, to get up and do what he needs to do and i'm saying yeah, there's a bit in it where he's like we're on 60 seconds. 60 seconds, he's saying, and you're, you're like, Jesus, just imprint the friggin' key. I was shouting at the television. <laughs> and this is all the pocket watches and things rather than... Yeah! Oh, my know. God. Um, so then, you know, they, they get the keys and all the rest. But of course, like in every good heist movie, there's more snags. And uh, let's just say, I don't want to kind of reveal too much about no. it, but there's another big snag. Or should I? Is this a spoiler uh, alert? Well, I mean, it's up Are to you. Are we going you. for spoiler alerts? I mean, I, I would encourage everybody to see the films that we've seen, mm. you know. Yes, so. no matter and what. this is very yeah. much like, I mean, 
as much as Ocean's Eleven or you know any of these heist movies, I think it's as tense and as well made as those. So, I oh mean, god, it, I it have might, that down here actually yeah, as an example. I was it, like, it might you know, be harder it's just to find, as good. So, but if people have a chance to see it, it's great. It sounds like a good bit of fun. Oh, it really as well. is. It really is. Oh, Ross, I had so much fun watching this. I really, really had so much fun uh, watching this. And just to kind of go through, I suppose, um, because even with, like, so that's all before the actual uh, robbery, <laughs> robbery even yeah. happens. This is all you know, pretty great train robbery. You know, it's like they have to rob this train whilst it's in transit. Like the sequence of him doing his own stunts on top of the train are just brilliant. Like there's about 10 bridges that he nearly gets impaled on. And it was, um, filmed in Ireland as well yes yeah. the whole thing uh, this was filmed in Ireland there's beautiful shots of Trinity there's beautiful shots of Houston Station there's also a station I think in Cork as well and they shot in uh, at Lone as well and there was a train driver in this uh, the train driver was from Mullingar so there you go <laughs> right. so Ireland looks fantastic as London <laughs> <laughs> in this movie but anyway so just kind of in terms of um you know, what should, what should a good, uh, you know, a great kind of crime caper heist movie have? I have a couple of kind of uh, things that it should have. An unbelievable can't be done, you're out of your mind, job or heist, right? <laughs> Tick. Yeah. We have to rob a train you whilst in transit yeah, under heavy security. <laughs> it would make a great movie. Yeah. The next thing, the plan has to be the greatest plan ever, but it's hit with snags. And we here we have many snags as well. Uh, the double cross or snitch. There's always one that weasels out or causes a bit of havoc. In the I middle. think it'd be Ross um, if we were. Doing it. <laughs> yeah, I'll save you. It definitely would be me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you all the way, Niall. Come on. Uh, charismatic lead characters with great chemistry. Tick, Sean Connery, Donald Sutherland, and of course, Leslie Ann Dane. She's great. Fantastic. She's really good. Yeah, she's so good in this. Uh, comedy intention. There has to be comical mm. moments in heist movies like this. Here, there are plenty. Donald Sutherland, every time he flicks or he flexes his fingers, I'm just yeah. like, so funny. Also, and he has a intern- fantastic uh, facial hair. We'll, maybe we we'll need that to my <laughs> to me asking. Yes, wait for that bit. Wait for yeah. that bit. Also, uh, Donald Sutherland turning up dead, pretend dead in a coffin oh. is hilarious. Uh, and Sean Connery literally taking the clothes off his back. Very, very funny. Tense, my God, the whole thing. My stomach was not ridiculous. It was horrifically <laughs> tense. Uh, stunts, huge uh, stunt at the end. Grand finale. They keep the best to last. It is unreal. So uh, I would say thoroughly enjoyable. I'd nearly say forget your Ocean's Eleven. This is the best movie <laughs> oh, really? to watch. That's, that's high praise. Yeah. Big fat five stars. It definitely should be on everybody's list to watch before they die. And I will certainly be digging it out again. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's see now. So first of all, we Loved have to ask it. for <laughs> what is Sean's facial hair? Like? <laughs> Sean's facial hair is so on point. Okay. It's unbelievable. It's very, uh, although it's he does distance. get a shave. Oh, he does okay, get yeah. a shave. Yeah. He does uh, halfway through the movie because, you know, he can't be too wild and overgrown because he has to pretend that he's a very dapper Dan, a very, you know, uh, high class, uh, upper upper class gentleman. So it has to be just the right amount. And um, the the head hair of Sean. The head hair is healthy. Yes, it's looking good. He's looking good there now. Yeah, nice nice bit of hair. The sex appeal. Oh, so high. Yeah. Really he's, high. He's looking yeah. good in all those Victorian costumes, isn't he? 
But yeah, he and there is a good few topless scenes of him as well. So yeah, right, right. It was good, good eye candy on a bed with grapes <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, grapes. <laughs> uh, it's great fun. It's it's a really good fun movie, and I was glad kind of because I gave. Uh, you kind of a list of a reading lists that you might go to <laughs> and there's a couple of movies like this that he made in this period what I would call adventure films so this is one this is probably the most fun one this is the most light one yeah. if you like uh, The Man Who Would Be King is another one that's in that bracket and another one called uh, The Wind and the Line which is uh, directed by John Milius who wrote Rambo and stuff like that so uh, you know uh, but uh, I, I watched a little bit of it in preparation of tonight um, and I was watching it go oh this is fantastic I, I, I have to watch the, the rest of it when we finish recording yeah no Derek Derek really enjoyed it with me and I didn't think he would because normally anything kind of in that Victorian right. era Derek's like no okay. <laughs> but he loved it he was like really laughing along and smiling it's good and you can see well. a, a straight line really from this to Henry Jones in Last Crusade yes that kind of you, you really know, can romp and he's up for anything and all mm. this you know so it's a great great film so Niall is it on to you it is yeah so I'll be very quick I'll be talking about I suppose one of the films that uh, inspired me to start my love of Sean Connery and to make him my dealer's choice for this episode and this is 1986's The Name of the Rose and it's based on a novel by Umberto Eco um, Umberto Eco um, anybody uh, who who knows books I guess would know that he's a he's a leading or he was a leading academic in the field of semiotics and the philosophy of language um, he also had a parallel journalistic and literary career and The Name of the Rose was his first novel in 1980 but it w was a huge success and it kind of bridges the gap between I guess um, mystery novel and philosophical novel because that's what he was interested in. So in 1986 Jean-Jacques Arnaud who's a director who I had known or would know I guess from a movie called The Clan of the Cave Bear which is about um, uh, Neanderthal people or, or cave people uh, Daryl Hannah stars in that I remember watching it as a child going nobody's speaking what's going on they're all good to get <laughs> each other so maybe I was a little bit young uh, to enjoy that but I might I might give it a, a, a re-evaluation and um, so it stars Sean Connery, Christian Slater, F. Murray Abraham, Michael Lonsdale, Ron Perlman, among uh, a host of fantastic European actors. So Jean-Jacques Anou kind of, it, it's a, I, I, I'm sure it's probably a, 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 an Italian-American co-production. So he kind of casts his net wide for, for his monks. So um, the story behind this film is that it's set in the year 1327. And it follows uh, the main character, William of Baskerville, played by Sean Connery, who is a renowned Franciscan monk, and his apprentice, Adzo of Melk, who's played by Christian Slater. They are travelling to an abbey in northern Italy for a theological debate, which is going to basically decide the Pope is, or the Pope will send a delegation to decide about the future of the Franciscan monks. Um, but at the same time, at this abbey, there's been a suspicious death. And um, the abbot is interested in uh, asking William to use his deductive powers to investigate what what has happened. The abbot thinks maybe the work of the Antichrist is at hand here. Uh, William is a little bit more um, 
rational, I suppose. And as you can tell by when when Umberto Eco was writing the novel and he named the character William of Baskerville, what he envisaged really was a 14th century Sherlock Holmes. So what we have really here is the the uh, what happens in the Abbey uh, as the church leaders are are coming for this conference, as as more and more monks end up turning up dead, and as William and Adzo, who's his kind of Watson, try to get to the bottom of what has happened. Um, there's a great scene, uh, and usually I'm not really good for uh, teeing up scenes, but I, when I watched this film, I went, "Oh, we have to play that one," um, where uh, William has been let into the scriptorium to try and. Uh, work out who this young illuminator has uh, or how this young illuminator has died and what are the circumstances about his death and uh, he ends up getting in a theological debate with one of the oldest monks in the abbey called the Venerable Yorgi and it's about whether or not uh, Jesus laughed so we might maybe play that to give people Ooh. an idea Laughter is a devilish wind which deforms uh, the lineaments of the face and makes men look like monkeys. Monkeys do not laugh. Laughter is particular to man. As is seen, Christ never laughed. Can we be so sure? There is nothing in the scriptures to say that he did. And there's nothing in the scriptures to say that he did not. Why, even the saints have been known to employ comedy to ridicule the enemies of the faith. For example, when the pagans plunged St. Maris into the boiling water, he complained that his bath was too cold, the sultan put his hand in and scalded himself. A saint immersed in boiling water does not play childish tricks. He restrains his cries and suffers for the truth. And yet, Aristotle devoted his second book of poetics to comedy as an instrument of truth. So, um, this film, which I love got kind of lambasted when it came out and I think it got lambasted from two corners I think some people kind of went it's not enough of a kind of action-y movie that I want to see Sean Connery in after I saw him chop off people's head in Highlander and it's and then the other side were going this is not what Umberto Eco's book is about because it's much more Umberto Eco's book is a much more dense book about philosophy and the framing device really is this murder mystery but this movie essentially is just a gothic murder mystery um and if you like things like that like labyrinthine kind of plots this is a film that you will love um they are not only i think the the two heroes and they are like this is i think christian slater's first um certainly the first thing i saw him in probably um but it's probably his one of his first film roles um he is the the novice monk who uh, is the sidekick to Sean Connery's investigator, um, and you find them not only kind of lost in this this abbey that that is so alien to them because they've come from a, a kind of different country, and that's the way things were back then. You know what I mean? That the there there were nations, but there were also, if you like, the the religious nation of all of these different sects of Benedictines and Franciscan monks and other things that you know they they would then all have to be ruled over by by the the Pope, if you like. Um, so it, it is really this metaphor for the winding paths of 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 labyrinths and trying to work out the truth. Um, and I, what I really liked about it when I saw it, and I probably would have been maybe 17, 18 when I saw it first, is that it's kind of, it 
pretends to be per, like intellectual, but it's really just a good murder mystery. And um, I kind of laugh at that because I kind of know that it's not as clever as the book. I've got on then to read The Name of the Rose, the book, which is a masterpiece. And it is just much more. All of the criticisms about the movie when it came out are probably right in that. But you can't make a film of the, the novel that Umberto Eco uh, wrote because there are the ideas are too big. The ideas are all about postmodernism and literature and how books influence books and things like that. But what Jean-Jacques Arnaud has done is he's just made a, a really good uh, murder mystery which is in really intelligent and if you are interested in the topics that it talks about you can then go on and do further reading which as you know I like to mm, give homework. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so I mean it, now I this was this movie was a guilty pleasure to me I would put it on it's it's two two hours ten minutes something like that it's certainly over two hours um, I would put it on late and I would sit and watch it to the end several times it's it's a real late night movie if of all of the movies that we were talking about tonight <clears throat> I would say watch uh, the Great Train Robbery in the in the afternoon and go and have yeah. a lovely lovely uh, lunch or not lunch but uh, go and have a lovely dinner then and then go back and watch The Hill because that's yes. going to get you in there but then late night kind of it's kind of it's it's almost horror but it's not then go and watch The Name of the Rose um, and that's that's a fantastic trilogy of, of Sean Connery movies you've got Connery playing essentially as I say Sherlock Holmes I mean literally he has the line he goes Oh my dear Ajo, it's elementary. He he has that what I would call this kind of twinkle in him that he had in a lot of his. We might call it the car, like you know, when you say he skirted or he flew by on a lot of the charisma that he had in his later career. But you can see it, and it is so good. But he is still kind of in that um, era where he's still acting, you know, and mm. um, it's 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 a. I don't want to say it's a beautiful looking film it's a horrifically ugly looking film because they literally made a well they they filmed in this I think it was a German uh, medieval monastery um, and they're all there but you see the muck you see the blood you see the reality of living in the, in medieval times um, and you know they don't spare any of that nothing is compromised you know and I think that it's been harshly judged by fans of as I say fans of Connery who wanted to see a bit more let's see the monk punch the bad guy in the face and fans <laughs> of uh, Umberto Eco who go oh yes but it's not really thoughtful enough um, but you know Connery plays like he did in a lot of these movies a winning central character because you know he you identify with him whether it be you you want to see some of his charm in the in the great uh, train robbery or you want to see some of his resilience and his rebelliousness in the hill or in this case this is again you can see a line between this and and him playing henry jones this intellectual uh, freedom that he has and and disdain for kind of um you know authority or superstition or whatever um, and yeah, it's. I really, if you, I, I don't think either of you have seen it, have you? No, 
No, I was going to as my pick. And yeah. to be honest, disclose, full disclosure, I googled just you know the, to try and see what the plot was, and I saw all the bad reviews, and I was like, oh, sugar, no, maybe. Okay, not. <laughs> well, don't let the bad reviews put me off. It was made into a, a TV series or a TV mini series, I should say. I think in 2016, <coughs> starring John oh. Turturro rather than uh, Sean Connery, which I have not seen. But apparently that's a little bit because it has more time. It maybe spends more, it has more of an investigation into the Umberto Eco, kind of all the novels, kind of many layers. But um, I love this film and I would recommend it to anybody who likes a good murder mystery. It's great. So Niall, we have to ask you, how is his facial hair looking? His facial hair is looking uh, tight, I have to say. He's rocking a very trimmed, greying beard. He's got a, a kind of darker moustache over it. It's very, tri- it's lovely. <laughs> I'm not sure how he's doing that in 1357. <laughs> what about his hair now? Is, is it- yeah, it's 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 monk yes. hair. So yeah. he's rocking the full tonsure. He's got the bowl hair. As is Christian Slater. Fair play to him. I don't know if it's a, if he actually shaved the, the kind of that circle on the top of your head that you do yeah. when you're a monk, the tonsure. <laughs> but he has it. Well, he be has fair, it there, in the late so, 80s, yeah. there's a lot of kids in Ireland who had a very much monk type bowl type haircut so a lot of people in Ireland aren't free oh here hey, listen there could be a few kids now Look, there's no I, hairdressers I, open I had, I had the bowl cut so I just didn't have that bowl cut <laughs> but on top and as regards <laughs> sexual chemistry well yeah. uh, for a monk uh, for a monk well there is a scene actually because there there is a sex scene in this movie but it's not Sean doesn't have it and what happens is Christian Slater's character has an encounter with a peasant <gasps> Yeah, it's it's actually it's quite a famous scene because Christian Slater um, he, he goes full frontal in it, um, but he kind of has said he regrets doing it. Now the actress that he he stars against um, also um, is is topless, but anyway, neither here nor there. But after having yeah. this encounter, he then is so racked with guilt that he goes to Sean Connery and tries to make a confession, and you find out that Sean Connery is a virgin. He just says, "I really, you have more." You have, you have more knowledge of this than I can't I can't imagine so. any world in which oh. Sean Connery's a virgin no so are we going to kill Ross oh yes sorry what? yeah yes <laughs> time, time to kill Ross it's time to kill you isn't it sing it there Will 1001 films to see before we kill you Ross you're in the firing line although I really feel like I should be in the firing line as well this week um <laughs> Yeah, definitely. What? Tell us what you. This is the the next movie you were looking at, which was That's the right, offence. Yeah, yeah. Sean Connery as Detective Sergeant Johnson. He's been a cop for twenty years. The things he's seen, and done, and lived through, are destroying him. Old streets, back alleys, standing in doorways, dark corners, always night, no one there. Silent, empty, people dying. No one. Bloody dying. No one. Oh, I've seen it. The Offense. The Offense from 1973. It was the third collaboration because I was talking about all the movies that, that were collaborations between Sean Connery and Sidney Lumet, and this is the third uh, one of those from 1973, The Offense. And Niall was saying that uh, The Name of the Rose might be a good late night movie. Well, if you find yourself not being able to get to sleep or you're drifting into easy dream <laughs> and you're, you're, you just get thinking about all the horrors and, and uh, horrible things in life and the cruelty of the world, 
this is probably the movie to switch on at about three o'clock in the morning while you're rocking backward and forward. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, the the offense it's it's based on a 1968 stage play, uh, this story of yours by John Hopkins, <coughs> the playwright, not the hospital. And um, in this, Connery plays the detective Sergeant Johnson. He's very much your you know you could see him as a typical uh, investigator he's very much grizzled hot-headed plays by his own rules but he couldn't be further from dirty harry as the movie goes on um so he's a police officer he served for 20 years and it's very clear that during his service and during the time he's just seen some of the very worst examples of human behavior and he's very much haunted and disturbed by the images in his head of violence rape murder just the worst parts of humanity it seems like he's seen it all um so in this movie uh, the police are investigating a series of child murders and um you can tell that that connery is finding it really just incredibly difficult not to let this investigation seep into his own personal life he's finding it really difficult not to let his feelings get the better of him as well during the investigation like there's one part where a witness comes forward with a sighting and he snaps at her for not coming out sooner and stuff like that as soon as i watched it, i said straight off the bat he is much too hot-headed to be doing a level-headed investigation i don't know how his superiors didn't pull him up quicker because he's clearly too invested in in his cases um so they the, the the young girl who does go missing at the start she is thankfully recovered still alive obviously she has been she's disturbed from 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 our ordeal and um it's it's then when another man is captured on suspicion of her her abduction as well as the the child murders i mentioned already um connery just becomes entirely convinced of of the the fella's guilt um and he he really goes about carrying out his own personal interrogation and of course that leads to violence and many many questions about guilt who's actually at fault what psychological damage can do to people what seeing like the the horrors of 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 humanity can do to you uh so yeah in a word this movie is is grisly it's it's very it's a very very grisly movie um like the hill well i know the hill is set in north africa uh, but it's very very much a, a, like the but it's very much a british movie and in the same regard this is very much a british movie it is of course set in the uk though and i uh, i think that kind of adds to the the grisliness it feels very true to life like all the buildings are gray the sky is always overcast there's nothing glamorous or there's nothing glamorous or sexy about this film at all um like yeah it's 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 just a very grim movie and like in the hill i was really impressed with with the performances across the board all the actors were absolutely fantastic and in 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 the offense you know there's no difference there there are some really really great performances uh particularly from trevor howard he plays like a senior officer um who um who is brought in to investigate um sean connery after the the, his interrogation kind of leads to to violence and then you have ian bannon as well he uh, he actually featured in the hill strange enough he he played kind of a sympathetic prison guard in that but in this movie he plays the suspect where uh that sean connery is interrogating um but when it comes to this movie i think it's fair to say it's completely sean connery show uh he he just gives a stunning performance 
and I must say I'm not sure what your guys uh, favourite performance of Connery is but for me this is easily easily the best performance I've ever seen from, from Sean Connery it's an astoundingly good performance I didn't think he was capable of such a good performance uh, it kind of blew me away to be honest um, but you know, saying that he's not playing a likeable character he's not playing a hero he mm, is yeah. a, a very unlikable character and um, as I said we've seen the kind of hot headed police detectives and stuff like that in multiple action films and they usually end up being redeemable characters like they're they're kind to the right people and they have dogs and they're all very but it's not the case with it's not the case with Connery like we see the reality of what being a hot-headed police officer who has to see like th- things like that means we, like we see um we see when he returns home to his 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 apartment his wife um uh, and pl- actually when I credited other actors there earlier on I should have really called out Vivian Merchant as well uh, who plays his his wife in this um, he, he comes in um, he comes in wakes her up it's very much uh, an abusive relationship I would say there's very there's a lot of control in there by Connery uh, he drinks heavily around her he, he she very much is playing a sympathetic character and she's saying look I know you've been through a lot talk to me you have to express yourself and stuff like that and Connery plays a little games with her trying to trying to disgust her and then he he is constantly insulting her appearance saying you're you're not beautiful you're not even pretty what did I do what did I end up how did I end up with you 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 make me miserable all this horrible horrible abuse that he's he's given his wife and it's very difficult to watch those scenes I must say the it's Yeah. yeah it was very I felt very uncomfortable watching it. Um, it's a real, as you say, and you put it really well there. There is no glamour no. in this in this movie. You know, there there really isn't, and there is no, um, you know, th- th- there is no attempt to make this character sympathetic. Mm. And you know the the scene, and it's so powerful. It's a long time since I've seen this movie, but it's still si- it it's in my head. The scene where he yeah. does go home, you think that. You know, it, it's after this. He he is um, he is he is being asked about what happened between him and this this suspect, and he goes home to his wife, and you really realise that although she is going, I can I can talk to you about it. We can work through this. That the reason that he is so messed up is the fact that he, at this stage, you kind of think that the only person that. He he kind of understands is is the other yeah. suspect because they are the only people that have had this level of I don't know de- dealing with with these horrific things I mm. suppose so yeah it's it's a I mean I would still recommend oh, people absolutely. see it but like there's some smart things in this movie as well um, like it's like the, the narration I think is really unreliable he's very much an unreliable narrator. You can't really trust what you see on screen a lot of the time, or you're not sure if what you see is what is actually happening. Um, there's a lot of questions about what's going on, I think, and I think for the most part they're kind of left up to whatever you think is the answer, which I think is 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 probably a smart <laughs> move because, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think ha- having a kind of 
leaving it up to the, the, the viewer was a smart choice there a lot of the scenes as well have a dream like kind of quality to them especially like the intro of the the intro of the film lasts for about I don't know seven or eight minutes and it looks like it's filmed through the bottom of a glass <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a metaphor or that's just a camera trick but you very much just um, it very much just kind of takes you into this world where you're not quite sure what's going on and uh, you're left with that feeling for the rest of the movie it's um, I, I was I was really 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 taken aback by it um, I was surprised I didn't think I didn't think Sean Connery was in movies like this and for me it was just an outstanding performance by him and I, I, I still think it's not a nice film he's not a nice person in it but it's it's just an outstanding performance and I really recommend people going out if you're a fan you know if you've seen Connery in the James Bond films you know and the Untouchables where he's kind of like charming and you know full of action stuff like that watch him in a role like this and, and, and see see what else he can do it's well worth a watch Look, The Offence isn't the kind of movie we're going to be asking about his facial hair, but I think it is quite... um, There is a scene where he's sporting a moustache very similar to The Hill in this, and there is a scene where his fellow officers come to his apartment after he had that confrontation with his with his long-suffering wife, and they they come to arrest him on on account of the interrogation. And he says, just leave me shave. Uh, he has to change his clothes so they can take them for evidence and they let him shave and uh, he gets rid of the five o'clock shadow his hair is <laughs> his hair is balding as well I, I, I think there's no wig probably in, in no, the effect no absolutely yeah. and it's, it, it, it kind of fits in with his character because he's very much grizzled you can tell he's he's been through the wars as well so I think I think you know um, if, if his appearance very much fits his character in that as well okay so it's time to murder a scene it's time to murder a scene. We are going to, as we always do, murder a fairly iconic scene. And this movie is The Untouchables. And it uh, tells the story of legendary crime boss Al Capone, played by Robert De Niro. He's ruling Chicago with a fairly iron fist, I would say. Uh, and then we have Prohibition agent Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner. He's attempting to take Capone down. Um, however, his best efforts fail due to pretty much corruption, you know, within the, the police force. So he has to recruit an elite group of lawmen uh, who won't be swayed by bribes or fear, including Irish-American cop Jimmy Malone, played by Sean Connery. And then Ness renews this determination to bring Capone to justice. And this scene, you know, aside from baby carriage down the steps, is a fairly iconic scene. It's where Ness and Connery's character Malone meet in the church and they kind of have this discussion as to, you know, what's the best way to take Capone down. So here is a little bit of that scene. You said you wanted to know how to get Capone. Do you really want to get him? You see what I'm saying? What are you prepared to do? Everything within the law. And then what are you prepared to do? If you open the ball on these people, Mr. Nash, you must be prepared to go all the way. Because they won't give up the fight until one of you is dead. I want to get Capone. I don't know how to get him. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. Okay, so what's happening here? I presume... You're going to be playing 
um, alone, are you? No, no, no. I, I think the listeners are fed up of hearing me play Sean <laughs> no, Connery. No. What I, think, I am not no, what attempting I, a What I think we should try to do is have a Sean Connery master clash. <laughs> so what I'll do is okay. I will give you some sentences to say Six. as Sean Connery and we'll see if you can... <laughs> If you can uh, live up to, to the is great man. Is it sea seashells on the seashore? I, that's my, look, that literally you. is that. All right. <laughs> Sinead, first of all, I'd like, to, I'd like you to repeat after me in your own voice. Okay. You're a cyborg. My own voice in, or my Sean no, Connery in, voice? No, in your own voice. Okay. Niall, you're a sight for sore eyes. <laughs> Niall, you're a sight for sore eyes. And now as Sean Connery. Well, you need to... No. Give me, is that true? I think you can help? try it. Jesus. Niall, you're a sight for no, sure. No, no, no. Hang on. All the S's are <laughs> shh, shh sounds. So, okay. Yeah, try again. <laughs> Niall, you're a shite for sure. I. Are you saying I'm a shite? <laughs> Did you just say I was a shite? I'm too busy concentrating on the shit. <laughs> That was that was pretty good. Oh, no, I'm shit. That, no, I think that was good. <laughs> uh, uh, I would like you to do as as Sinead spoiled. See, she, she sells. I can't even say it properly. She sells <laughs> seashells on the seashore. First of all, in your own. She mind. sells seashells on the seashore. Very good. Ooh. You're very good at speaking. <laughs> your own Thank voice. you. And now. <laughs> I would like you to do it as Sean Connery. Remember, all the ash shans are shed like right. this. Say That was actually. Can I just that was say that? That sounded like Michael Caine and Sean Connery's child. Yeah. Seychelles, Seychelles, on the seashore. You're only supposed to blow the bloody blows off. Oh, oh, Niall, I think it's fair to say you better yes, be Malone or right. we're going to lose listeners. Are you sure? <laughs> okay. I think people are fed up, but anyway. All right. Okay. So give us the and give Ness, us the And in. Ross, your Ness. And action. You said you wanted to know how to get Capone. Do you really want to get him? You see what I'm saying? What are you prepared to do? Everything within the law. And then what are you prepared to do? If you open the ball on these people, you must be prepared to go all the way because they won't give up the fight until you one of you is dead. I want to get Capone. I don't know how. Here's how you get Capone. He pulls a knife. You pull a gun. He asks you at the dinner. You ask him out to dinner in a movie. You send your flowers for Valentine's Day. You send him an acapelling singing telegram. He buys you a new dress. You buy him a nice pair of formal buns and some jewellery. He sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. Now, do you want to do that? Are you ready to do that? I'm making you a deal. Do you want to make this deal? I've sworn to put this man away. Not to date him. <laughs> with any and all legal means at my disposal. And I will do so. Well, the Lord hates a coward. Do you know what a blood oath is, Mr. Nash? Yes. Good. Because you just took one. Now kiss me, you fool. 
<laughs> Scene. Wow. That's a, I actually really impressed by your Sean Connery impression. Yeah. Yeah. Listen. Oh, here. I think the man himself would be impressed. I don't think I'm so. Go as far I as think this that. is the thing I said earlier on. If I ever met Sean Connery, <clears throat> and uh, you know, they never meet mm. your your heroes because you will always yeah. be let in. Um, and there, like, it is a case of I in, enjoyed his performance in all of these films. I think if I met him, I don't play golf. I, I would ask him to split <laughs> the bill evenly. And we probably have very different uh, views on, on, you know, gender politics. But I think he he did a lot of work for Scottish independence, which I also would agree with, even though I'm not Scottish. But, um, yeah, yeah, so... Would you do uh, your impression no, for him? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I think everybody he ever met did, did their impression for him. So I would like to, you know... Uh, stand out by not yeah, I not think, doing it and I don't I even do a really that. good one I remember hearing a great uh, story from Mel Gibson yeah. he was out for a meal once before with Sean Connery and he said that he heard Sean Connery order a plate of goulash and he said it was the most fantastic thing he's ever heard <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean there's a couple of actors who have great careers I think Jack Nicholson is one as well and then mm. if they don't become pastiches of themselves or they just kind of fall into playing their own version of themselves later on because their careers have lasted so long then um, you just kind of go oh god that was a bit of a misstep <coughs> with that film or you know but that's you have the, the benefit of hindsight as, as a film fan and going oh that's a bit of a dud but this is a good good one so I'm really glad that yeah. you guys could no, it totally could could, uh, could join me for my dealer's choice. Mm. Uh, yeah, so and uh, I hope Poorly you thoroughly enjoy, enjoyed. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, we hope you liked our look at the lesser known but so so good movies from Sean Connery. Till next time, film fans. Bye. I will see you at the movies <laughs> when the movies are opened again. Bye. You have been listening to The Real Take, presented by Sinead Brassel, Ross Leedy, and Niall O'Brien. Our music was provided by actor, artist, and musician Will Guppy. You can find him on Instagram at will.guppy. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Real Take Podcast. If you would like to contact us to tell us how fantastic we are, you can reach us at The Real Take Podcast at gmail.com. See you at the movies.